Hey, welcome to yet another commission podcast uh, that was sponsored on subbable.com slash bald move by an anonymous shadowy agent. Oh my god. MI6? Maybe MI7. Because <laughs> we know about MI6 now. Yeah, they had to. They had to go to the next level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they went all the way to 11. <laughs> Okay. And mm-hmm. I th- and and uh, you know who, who's to say who or what or why he or she commissioned this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a Christmas present to themselves, and they wanted us to see the imitation game, which is the first actual still in the theater show that we've been commissioned to do. So uh, we went yeah. down to the local rave, uh, and uh, we're pleasantly surprised that you can see an early bird show for like five. 25 it a was person cheap. that's a fucking deal yeah that is a deal if you're willing to get up and see a movie before noon this particular theater in uh south s- southeastern ohio southwestern ohio will reward you greatly yep and we are going to talk for a couple minutes in general spoiler free terms uh, because you know this is a, a current run show to kind of give you our general impressions and thoughts, and then we're going to get uh, balls deep into spoiler territory. Oh yeah, Jim Jones, what did you think of the Imitation Game starring Benjamin Cumberbund? <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Cumberbund. Well, he's exceptional in it. Uh, Bender Bender Snatch Cumberland. Yeah, no, he's he's really Benedict good. Cumberbatch. I really don't know his <laughs> name. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Smaug the Dragon. Yeah, um, he he's real good. He's good. Keira Knightley's good. Uh, everybody in this film is really excellent. You will see so many people that you know from so many things. You will. Yeah. You got the the Cumberbitch. You got Keira Knightley. You got Charles Dance from Game of Thrones. You got, I think it's Matthew Good, who was uh, Ozymandias from oh, yeah. The Watchmen. This mm-hmm. is the, primarily where I know him from. You got uh, Tom Branson from Downton Abbey, the driver on Downton Abbey. Yep. Uh, who ironically plays uh, kind of a Marxist uh, pro-labor uh, firebrand on Downton Abbey. Hmm. And kind of plays a similar similar type of character in, in this thing. He's a little, little typecast. Did we talk about Charles Dance? Yeah, I mentioned him. Charles Dance essentially plays uh, Tywin Lannister, basically, uh-huh. uh, only working for the 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 royal British army government. Yeah, royal is, is. I'm assuming it's the. I don't know anything a, about the military of the. He, I, the he was like the commander of the signals intelligence, which I don't know if which branch of service or if that's its own separate thing or whatever. But he works for the military intelligence apparatus in Britain during World War II. Yeah. And, uh, and the the movie is about Alan Turing and his life, and specifically his uh, his I guess work on cracking pro- the Enigma code, which was Enigma part of Project machine. Ultra, which was the overall Allied effort to crack and decrypt uh, Nazi uh, codes no. uh, to help win the war. It's, it's good. It's a great film. Yeah. No. It. It. it it hits all the right notes. I was I, prof- I was actually came away with kind of a profoundly moving experience. Uh and I felt like I knew a lot about Alan Turing, the things he went through and I was you know this, on the drive home I was talking about being very skeptical about how they portrayed the code breaking and actual because it felt like it was deliberately yeah. dumbed down so that people could understand and you know kind of share in the eureka moments. And rightfully so. I mean, this is a big-budget Hollywood movie. There's no way they're going to show you what it actually takes to break a code. 
That would be silly. Yep. <laughs> and it it sh- it kind of concentrates on three phases of his life that we are told almost simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Turing as a young man in some sort of boarding school. Uh, Alan Turing as a young man, fresh out of college, or maybe still, I think he is a professor in college, working on the code breaking. And then Alan Turing as a middle-aged man in his late 30s, early 40s, at the twilight of his life. Um, yeah, which has... That's a mild spoiler, I guess. Well, I guess. It's a historical fact that he Alan dies Turing, in his early 40s. Yeah, it's not a spoiler then. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess if you don't know anything about Alan Turing, and I didn't know much about Alan Turing going into this, I knew basically that he is credited as kind of the forefather of the computer, yep. the, the digital computer. Yep. Um, he, you know, there's a, he has a namesake, he's the namesake of a test that basically proves whether a computer is sentient or not, mm-hmm. um, basically whether it's able to fool a human into thinking that it is a human right. itself. Uh, not a lot of that in the film, honestly. I mean, the, despite the name, it it does not go into that part of it. No. Much. I mean, it's mentioned, um, but I feel like the imitation game and that portion of it is used more to say stuff about Alan Turing himself. Right. Uh, and to and to make a point, which mm-hmm. I, I won't spoil. I don't I don't want to talk too much about the point that this film makes at the end. Right. Until we get into the spoilers. But it's got great acting, it's got a phenomenal soundtrack. Yeah. Um it's very watchable. Mm-hmm. It it makes the code breaking look very exciting. Uh it it, it gives you an appropriate I think it gives you a very good primer of how complex and daunting the task was. Yeah. Which is fairly accurate. Um, and it demonstrates how breaking these codes, I mean, it's, it's it probably goes without saying that if you were privy to all of your enemies, privileged communications, that it's much easier to win a war. Yeah. If you know where they're going and when they're going and how much of what they're going and, and, <laughs> sure. and their problems and, and their plans, then it's going to be much easier to defeat them than if all that stuff is secret. Yes. And the funny thing is, is for the, like the final two years of the war, the Allies essentially knew all the Nazi secrets ahead of time. It's kind of it's it's kind of amazing that the war wasn't over sooner. That seems like such an overwhelming advantage. They do talk about that in the film. I don't want to give that part away because it is kind of a big reveal. Yeah. Um, but that is mentioned and that is kind of addressed. Yes, in the film. the The problem is. You, if if you're a curious person, you're going to want to know more about Alan Turing. Oh yeah, and you're going to come home and you're going to find out how very little historical accuracy is in this film, and it, it's yeah. not just. We're going to be talking about that in the spoiler section, which we're about to transition to. But I just want you to know that if you go and see this and you're impressed with it, mm-hmm. know that you are you know not much more about Alan Turing than when you can't than you went into the movies. And that's assuming you knew nothing about Alan Turing going in. Right. In fact, you've got a lot of misinformation about the man, his yes. accomplishments, mm-hmm. and what he went up to. And that's where I I have a lot of problems. Because if I, I did too. not know anything about Alan Turing and I did not do any additional research, I would give this a very high mark for a movie. I came out of that movie saying that was a really, really good movie. Yes. Uh, and I and I felt exactly the way you did. And I feel like the movie's luster wears off almost everything that I read about it. And I've, I've, I've resolved to read the biography that this film is based on. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, because I do. I, I want to know a lot more about Alan Turing and yeah, his and I, life. I, I'm hoping that that is what will be spurred up in a lot of people. I, I think, you know, if there are a lot of questions that the movie is, that the movie is asking that it encourages you to think about. Um, and those are kind of the things that make it a good movie. Not the historical inaccuracies, as big as they may be. Yeah. Um, it's the questions it asks and the... I think answers it gives you, yeah, um, that that really encourage society to take a look, a look at itself and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what makes it a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really good, entertaining film. It reminded me a lot of JFK, which is one of my favorite movies. In that, in both the quality and the um, the how well the narr- the narrative moves around and uh-huh. how much it is engrossing and fascinating. But then when you find out at the end how much of it is just very little basis in fact. And for what – maybe I'll, I'll feel differently when I watch it more or if I start doing some more research and I can kind of see better clearly what is the real from what is the fictional. But I love JFK. It's something yeah, yeah. that I watch probably every year, every other year. It's a pretty long movie, right? It's a pretty it's long like movie, hours? but it's super engrossing and it's yeah. got a lot of great performances and – but it's almost entirely a work of fiction. Yeah. So let's talk but about... But at the same time, I don't want to scare people off this movie with them thinking, oh, well, it gets into code breaking and stuff, and it's very technical, and I'm not no. interested in that. It is not. It is a human drama at its core. It is It is less technical than, like, the social media. Yes. Or social network. Do not be scared by Alan Turing and computers. No. it's that's very, not what you're in for. It's kind of similar. It approaches code breaking the same way that, say, A Beautiful Mind approaches the Nash equilibrium as it applies to economics and, and <laughs> stuff that went way over my head watching. That yeah. Movie. Like you, you'll see a guy, you'll see lots of uh, drawing geometric shapes on paper and lots of fiddling uh-huh. with a, a very primitive form of a computing device and a lot of talking about probabilities and, mm-hmm. and stuff and ciphers and crossword puzzles. But the core of it is the drama and the tension between, uh, you know, the amount of time they have, the work they need to do, and each other. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where it really shines. So let's transition to the spoiler section. If you want to see this show unspoiled, you should now switch off the podcast. I'm going to open it up with uh, words from an anonymous benefactor, the shadowy agent that uh, commissioned this podcast. He says, This is a Christmas present for myself, a review of a movie about one of the biggest misunderstandings in history. During my teens in the 70s, I was a World War II file. Uh, I always, a P-H-I-L-E, not F-I-L-E. He was a World War II lover. I always thought the History Channel was made for this person. Yeah, And then yeah. perverted for this person, right. and he probably bitterly hates it now. Mm-hmm. I always thought that the Allies beat the Axis in a toe-to-toe fight, that the Nazi downfall was air, uh, mostly arrogance in a two-front war. Yeah. Remember the phrase from the Battle of Britain by Churchill that never was so much owed to so, uh, by so many to so few. Well, that's partially correct, except the world thought Churchill was referring to the Spitfire pilots when in reality it was the code breakers at Bletchley Park, Hmm. uh, without whom the Germans would have been the victors. In high school, I read the book The Ultra Secret. It's a must-reading for any person who wants to know what happened in World War II. From the Battle of Britain, Stalingrad, Battle of Kursk to Normandy, it was clear that the Allies defeated the Nazis not because of better troops, material, or leadership, because the Allies had the Nazi playbook. Like the New England Patriots versus the New York Jets in 2007, the Allies cheated and knew the Nazi playbook ahead of the battle. 
As one historian noted, Field Marshal Montgomery had a habit of placing a picture of Rommel in his office in North Africa to give the impression of reading Rommel's mind. But Montgomery uh, wasn't reading Rommel's mind. He was, in fact, reading Rommel's mail. I'm also going to link a ton of additional reading if you want to do about the historical accuracies, inaccuracies, where you can read interviews of Alan Turing historians talking about the film and how they feel about it, and also links to uh, some books for more material if if you're like me and you want to find out more. Honestly, if you... If you want to just get kind of the overview of like historical inaccuracies and all that and about Alan Turing, Wikipedia is a great place to start. I mean, yeah, you can go read all these historical uh, sure. judgments, but I think Wikipedia pretty much gave me a clear picture that this film is telling me a bunch of fibs. Yeah. So let's talk about some let's talk about some problems that we've had in retrospect. First of all, the begin the the movie begins with uh Cumberbatch, batch alan turing saying these things and you're not sure if he's addressing like a student or a uh, my, my impression when i first heard him talking about this is i thought he was a professor lecturing a like a 101 entry to some sort of mathematics and he's saying yeah. you need to listen to me very carefully i don't repeat myself i will not explain myself if you listen carefully and you follow the twists and turns you will you know, arrive with some truthful understanding of whatever. And if not, then fuck off. I don't care. Yeah. That's it. It's a challenge. Are you smart enough to understand what this film is telling you? It's a challenge that is, is never actually carried out. When the lights come up, you're like, what the fuck? There is no mystery. And, and it's not just that they say it at the beginning. It's that they say it throughout the film. Multiple times. He is, he is telling me, are you paying attention? Yeah. Are you paying attention? Yes, I'm fucking paying attention, and there's no mystery here. I think that another possible audience to that could be the uh, detective that he's talking to in the be- the, the end, and then mm-hmm. the mystery is only a mystery if you're a 50s-era, you know, London Bobby, which is, yeah. is a homosexual a legitimate person or not? And uh-huh. I think that's... It seems like a lot of the changes... There's There's two classifications of how they change this film from history. One is to make it more exciting. Yep. And to make it more accessible, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Another is to uh heighten what I think they really why they want to tell the story is what happened to Alan Turing is a crime. Yeah. Homosexuality in in Britain in the 50s was illegal like it was in a lot of part of the world where where like it, it still is in a lot of parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And it was punishable by prison and uh, you could opt out of prison and go into some kind of diversionary program where they forced you to take hormonal treatments that they called it chemical castration. Mm-hmm. In Alan Turing's ca- case, they pumped him full of female hormones. Uh, he grew breasts. and That seems the wrong way to go about it, right? Yeah, but that was the leading scientific thought or the leading no, medical no, thought I mean, is that's like, the cure. That wouldn't be my first conclusion. Oh, well, he likes dudes. Let's make him more like a woman. What? Yeah, well, I mean, that's just a non sequitur. Yeah, completely. Like, as certainly, I understand that. What I'm, what I'm no, getting at yeah. is, it seems the opposite direction you would want to go. Like, if you are a homophobe and you want to cure this disease, why does injecting feminine, you know, it doesn't seem like it makes sense even from that. Yeah, shouldn't you want to make logic? him more manly by yeah. giving him testosterone? Shoot him full of testosterone. Yeah. They just don't want him boning dudes, is what it is. Yeah. Um and. 
they they that this guy is a war hero. This guy was a huge part of why the Allies won the war, mm-hmm. and less than ten years later, he's being arrested on for for being a homosexual, yeah. and he's forced to go undergo these uh, hormonal um, uh, treatments and. The I guess there's a still a lot of controversy around Alan Turing's death, but the fact is, yeah, uh, he died from cyanide cyanide poisoning in uh, his early 40s. I think he was 41 years old. Yeah, and it was just a few years after he had completed this treatment. The movie actually makes it even more. They took a liberty <laughs> and they make it sound like in the middle of this treatment, yeah. that was robbing him of his mental faculties and making his handshake and making him an even a crazier person that he committed suicide. The jury's yeah. out. If you look at histor- historians, there's three schools of thought. One is that he ate, he was distraught by his treatment as a homosexual, un- unable to fit in, and, you know, with a lot of his greatest contributions to humanity not being able to talk about because it's top secret, he committed suicide okay. by eating a poisoned apple. There is another school of thought that says he was conducting experiments that used some form of cyanide gas in his house. And that long-term exposure to that finally uh, overcame him, and he died. A lot of evidence pointing to that is that the friends that knew him um, said that he was fascinated by the changes in his body that the hormones uh, generated. And he was like – had this this creative spark of this uh, mathematical biology he was doing to analyze these changes and that, Mm. you know, he seemed like he was fairly upbeat and positive. Um, and then there's a third school of thought that there is some shadowy branch of the government that killed him in some sort of uh, assassination attempt because they didn't want it getting out that, you know, number one, he's, uh, as they say in the film, a poofter, mm-hmm. and that these guys couldn't be trusted with intelligence, and he had all these secrets that he still was privy to and he knew, and that he had to be silenced, and he couldn't be trusted with this stuff, you know. Who who is to say? Because it's still a kind of a matter of inquiry, and it feels like that his autopsy was botched, and there was a lot of like you know it's kind of serial yeah. the podcast, only with a <laughs> sure. suicide other and, and not even a murder. So yeah, potential suicide, you know. Uh, but I think that the other historical inaccuracy is the f- Alan Turing himself in the film he's made out to be deep in the autism spectrum. He doesn't understand jokes. Well the. Yeah, you're saying the other, like it's the only other liberties they took. They um, took liberties with history and with yeah, yeah, yeah. But Turing I'm saying, himself and I'm saying that the central everything. thing that I think the filmmakers wanted us to walk away with is what a crime it was that we treated a yeah. person like Alan Turing for his only crime being that of loving men. Which caused him to kill himself and imagine the things he could have done after that. Yes. Like I was doing the, the math on this. Alan Turing was 41 when he killed himself in 1954. He or he could easily been alive through the computing and internet revolution. Exactly, he could have been around with the the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs and doing the kind of shit that. Who knows? Who knows where that would have gone? And, and it's been fascinating to have the father of this movement. And that's the other thing is like mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly where to peg his contributions to computer science because as I understand it, he contributed a lot to information theory and yeah, like yeah. the modern you know, information science, mm-hmm. less so when you're talking about the hardware of inventing, you know, a computer. That's the thing. My impression of Alan Turing going in was that he basically took us from doing math on Abacus to right. thinking digital machines. computers. Yeah. yeah. 
which is certainly not the case. Um, there were people both before him and after him who had a huge part in doing that stuff. It, and like, you know, the concept of a Turing machine is one of the first concepts of what we would later call a computer, but as a theoretical model. Yeah. It wasn't a physical model or any kind of design or something like that. And and he also yeah. did not build the uh the, the what they call Christopher. It was actually called Victory in in real life. Yeah. Uh, he didn't build the the first Bomba, not alone. He is actually helped by another mathematician. And these are our refined designs that the Polish had been cracking Nazi codes since the thirties. Yeah. yeah. And they and, and in fact they were the arguably the first to break the Enigma system, but mm-hmm. the Germans kept making it more and more complex. More wires. Uh, <laughs> more wires, more <laughs> cylinders, more code combinations. And the Polish uh, came to the to the British government saying this is our machine, but we've run out of funding to make it bigger and more powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what my understanding is Alan Turing's chief contribution was to come up with a statistical model that they had very little computing time and processing, and they couldn't break every code. But to find, with a probability analysis, the codes that had the highest likelihood of being broken that would then give them the code for that day so that they could read the rest of the emails. Yeah, so and he's, that's basically what... And he the did Heil Hitler stuff in the movie was doing yeah, as well, yeah. and just he, reducing the number of possibilities. Yeah, and he did all that stuff by hand without any yeah. kind of computational aid. But the whole idea that he he was the only one to have an idea to build to build this machine, and everybody else was essentially doing stuff on paper yeah. was false. They were doing these Silly. machines from the beginning. Uh, they were doing the Heil Hitler stuff. That was you know that's the thing that struck me as false because if you've ever played a quick crypto quip in a newspaper, mm-hmm. that's what you're doing. You're trying yeah. to find the one clue that can then enable you to do the substitutions to, to figure out the rest. Sure. So the idea that they're just at a bar two years into the war and they had this, you know, Oh, the Germans say Heil Hitler and Oh, 600 and nothing to report a lot. This is what's going to, that's bullshit. They were doing that from the jump and it was kind of an arms race between, the Germans, who were fairly confident that the Enigma system was unbreakable, mm-hmm. but they continued making it more and more complex throughout the throughout the war, just as a matter of course, and um, you know their understanding and be able to break these codes and and deliver it. And the other thing, I guess, is that man, it's like where I feel do like we this even turning begin? into a history lesson, and I don't care to do that. Okay, on this podcast, but, but what I'm trying to is, is, <laughs> what I'm trying to express is the the vast gap between what actually happened and his contributions and what was depicted in, sure. nothing, in the movie. Nothing in this film. Like, so there's a problem, right? Because nobody is going to understand if you try to say exactly what Alan Turing did, what his contributions were in this film. Uh, no one will get that. It will go over everyone's head. Yeah. What you have to do is you have to dumb it down enough for your audience, who is America, like the, the, gener- the generality that is America. So... Like, I get some of the liberties they took with technology. What I don't like is some of the liberties they took with Alan Turing's personality. Um, the, the stuff with the spy in the camp seems to just crumble that main character. Because you're, you're asked to conceive of Alan Turing as a, a reluctant patriot, but certainly a hero in terms of raw lives he saved. Yes. And and the deal with Tom Branson from Downton Abbey where he found that there was a Russian spy in the midst of them mm-hmm. that he And then he didn't report it he because didn't he was rep- being blackmailed. He's being blackmailed because this guy knew he was a homosexual. That makes him a traitor, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so certainly, it certainly detracts a lot from the heroic image of Alan, of Alan Turing. And the fact that this was yes. entirely made up... Completely made up. ...seems at odds from what they're trying to tell us for the rest of the narrative. Well, what they're trying to say in this narrative is Alan Turing was a homosexual, he was persecuted for it, and shouldn't we be ashamed of ourselves? And that blinds them to a lot of the problems with changing so many facts, I think. Well, also, like, that's where I was trying to go before I got sidetracked in historical details, but... <laughs> The fact uh-huh. of making Alan Turing autistic, basically, yeah, is weird because I guess that's like you know if you've watched The Beautiful Mind, if you've seen Sherlock Holmes, if you've seen uh, uh, A Big Bang Theory. Apparently, nowadays you can't be a genius unless you're just fucking weird as hell <laughs> and off-putting, yeah, and to an insulting degree. There's no contemporary sources to paint. Yes, he was shy. Yes, he was reserved. He didn't suffer fools gladly. He was kind of slovenly and unkempt. But everyone on this Codebreaker program respected the hell out of him and appreciated his contributions. Yeah. There was no, like, Alan Turing is a fucking weirdo, and, you know, we're the jocks, no. and he's the nerd, and he's playing with his computer, and we're trying to break codes the old way. Yeah, they, they said none he, of was, that. he was, you know, he had a great sense of humor. He was uh, a good friend. Like, all of the accounts of Alan Turing... The people who knew him don't say anything like that. Yeah, but I feel like that that autism thing is something they threw in, number one, because that's our yeah. uh, prejudice for geniuses. Is they we all might have not to have believed that he was a genius unless they did that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, you, know, you could be the absent-minded professor. You can be the inhuman asshole, but you can't be just a, a regular <laughs> dude or just you know a, a, a shy guy, but certainly no more than your average – STEM professional. Yeah, and something that speaks directly to that is I was reading around a little bit, and people were saying, oh, well, they never did anything to make Kira Knightley's character, Joan Clark, seem smart. She's at she's on this program. You realize that she came in and cracked that crossword faster than uh, Alan Turing himself cracked it, right? Yes, I did. that's ridiculous. She's a, a doctorate. She's a, she's a mathematical genius. They're, but they perceived her as being too normal, I think. Like, because oh, she, well, she doesn't have pre- any flaws. She's, she's, in, she's essentially too pretty for that role, yes, which is yes. ridiculous. Complete bullshit. Um, but I feel like that somehow this autism was somehow to make him even more pitiable. Not only was yeah. he a gay man in a, to- a society that did not tolerate that, but he also is an alien in his own culture. He can't understand idioms yeah. and jokes, and he's literal, and he doesn't understand people's emotions, but he's got these, you know, emotions that that, uh, that straight people can't comprehend on top of that. And it's just making him even more of a tragic character and also mm-hmm. more of a heroic one because he has to overcome all of his considerable emotional disabilities in this film. Yeah. Like, he is just a an arrogant, narcissistic prick. Mm-hmm. And... The I, the only thing that really redeems him is that he's got an awareness of it and he tries to do better. I mean, he gives yeah, people apples. Like, there's, yeah. I don't know. It just, but it seems like Joan Clark has to come in and teach him that. And and if he was really like that, yeah. that would be awesome, and it would be such a great performance, and it would be such a compelling story. But he wasn't. Mm-hmm. So what the hell? <laughs> I don't know. Don't don't get me wrong on this. I. I don't like necessarily how they depicted Alan Turing and changed him. 
but I do think that Benedict Cumberbatch did a hell of a performance. The performance of that character was yes. really awesome, yes. but that character doesn't feel like it's <laughs> it's Alan Sepinwall or Alan Sepinwall, Alan Turing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you. So I, and I don't know, I, like I don't know what to do with that because the artistic side of me says it's a great performance, it's well told, it's compelling, mm-hmm. but the logical side of me says, but. Yeah, I mean, we were we were talking earlier about you know breaking this into two categories. You said you got the the entertainment filmmaking value of it, which I think is a solid B plus at the maybe an A minus. We'll go we'll go with A minus. I think there's a lot of drama. They, if, if I don't know anything about Alan Turing or the scenario, it's a really really good film. But the historical inaccurate the historical accuracy part of it is just an F, just a solid F. There is almost nothing that is accurate in this film. The names of characters, the names of places are about the only thing. Right. And even then, they they add this level of Christopher, you know, like he never got over this kid that he met who didn't even reciprocate his feelings necessarily. Right. Um, in the real world, he never got over him to the point where he's naming his machines Christopher. That never happened. And he's having his emotional breakdown, not over the fact that he's been, you know, accused of homosexuality and he's having his hormones fo- fostered over, but they might take away his Christopher, his yeah. machine, yeah. that he and he's more connected to this machine than he is with people, which is, I mean, there's, I saw some people said that they thought it was weird how they undercut his homosexuality, which I find that hard to believe. I don't, I mean, under Alan like Turing was sold it or yeah there's some complaints oh I feel God, like there's no. no way this person's seen the movie yeah but it's really weird how they do kind of undercut his his passions as a man with the fact that he really can only relate to this machine mm-hmm. that I don't I, I that's that's what's weird for me like he's less pity but he's like uh in fact mm-hmm. I was thinking walking out of the movie is Alan Turing strikes me more of one of those like asexual types that might, you know, you see these things where people fall in love with a building or a particular object or, you know, that he he might not be gay or straight or bisexual. He just has affection for people that show him affection because that's how he relates to the world. So, yeah, he'll marry Joan because she's his best friend and that would be a great relationship. Or, yes, he's in love with Christopher because he's the only boy that showed him kindness. Well, but I, that's a completely wrong characterization of Alan Turing that I came away with from this movie. Yeah, that is not correct. <laughs> no. He loved men. He, I didn't know what to make of the the Joan Clark Alan Turing relationship necessarily because in real life it seems he wasn't all that much cl- more straightforward. He wasn't right? all that closeted either. Uh no, no, he like th- I watched an interview with Joan Clark that happened recently like 2007 or so. Um and she basically said that he told her the day after proposing to her that he was homosexual or at least had homosexual tendencies uh-huh. uh and that that was just like something he came out with right away like didn't debate oh do i need to tell her this and all that stuff and right and wonder to himself he just you know told her right and then they still were engaged for six months until was, they broke it off because they just decided that's not what they really wanted. Not because yeah, yeah. that's the other thing I thought was weird when you tried to run her off. I know. The protector. Yeah. Protector from what? From being I because that's the thing. They they manufactured this tension between him and Tywin Lannister and mm-hmm. um, you know, Ozymandias from The Watchmen. And because of a direct result of that, he had to then be mean to Kiara Knightley's Joan character. 
because yeah. now he's fearing for his life because he thought he was, uh, you know, involved in a spy ring and they're going to try to try him for. You two- know what it felt like? It felt like they really wanted to address the homosexuality of Alan Turing. They didn't want to do the stuff with Joan, but they kind of had to because it's such a big part of his story. I guess. But the other thing is, like, one of the consequences of him being very autistic is that there was, you know, you never saw him hitting on dudes or even kissing a man or even holding hands with a man. I mean, it was this very weird cerebral relationship. Again, a completely mischaracterization of Alan Turing. And I, you know, I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there were some things that I really liked about this movie. I mean, Keira Knightley herself, uh, her performance, she brings a warmth and a heart to this film that is otherwise completely devoid of it. Uh, I think yes. that was much needed. Without her, uh, or her character at least, I mean, she did a great performance, but without the Joan character, this movie is really, really dry in places. Yeah, and I uh, also and just s- cold and say that Matthew Good, who's Oz- Ozymandias, uh, his yeah. uh, I forget what his name was, Alexander, the chess champion. He was really good Hugh? too. Hugh, Hugh. was it Hugh Alexander? Might have been. Uh, I've got it up here. Okay, it's Hugh Alexander. Yeah, yeah, he was really good too. Um, yeah, and, he's fantastic. You know, it's funny because his Ozymandias was very Turing esque in the Watchmen, and he's a much more human approachable <laughs> character like he's this inhuman genius mm-hmm. narcissist genius character in the Watchmen, and he's this approachable warm human being yeah. you know and that's the other thing is like you can't really hate him for being addictive turing because turing's such an easy person to be addicted to oh yeah in this film not in real life in no, this no, film no. Mm-hmm. uh the the one other thing that i really wanted to talk about that i thought was Kind of addressed at the perfect time, uh, though a little overly dramatic, uh, was the, the the question, if you have the power to stop a small tragedy now or a much larger tragedy down the road while letting the smaller tragedy happen, what do you choose? And that's like, that that is a question that is very quickly asked and let go of in this film. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just at the right time, you know, it was... It was. It had a lot of tension to it, given the fact that they had just broken these codes and needed that information badly. But that was bullshit. What in was real bullshit? life? The fact. Oh that they, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. They, they had no input on how the the information they they got was used. No, in fact, the Allies used it to the extent that they used it, and the Germans yeah. were oblivious to it throughout the entire entire war. Yeah. Um, I think it's some. Do you think it's interesting? But it's an interesting question to ask, and sure, sure. Uh, I'm glad they asked it. And I, I wouldn't mind if that was the only thing where they had the scene where one of the Codebreaker's brothers was on a fleet that was about to be sunk by the Nazis. That's and, and the highly that, dramatized. If, if, if that was the only, mm-hmm. t- the, the only dramatic, or if it was just basically Turing's commander disliking his computerized approach mm-hmm. to things. If those are the only two part of the changes, I would be like, okay, well, that's your standard Hollywoodization of a thing, you know, yeah. of, of, of a historical event. You can't expect uh, – you can't go watching Braveheart and come expect to come away with an understanding of the fight for Scottish independence, you know? Sure. Like that's, that's, sure. that's not William – the real William Wallace and all mm. that. So – but it's just the changes were pervasive and puzzling is, is what really – yeah. But but if you're ignorant of them, 
That's the thing. I want to talk about that. If you're complete, if if I had done no research uh-huh. and just talked about this movie as if it was the real life story of Alan of Alan Turing, mm-hmm. I keep on wanting to call him Alan Sepinwall. Alan Turing, <laughs> I would have had a much different opinion of this movie than if I had done the day or two of research that I've done since. Oh yeah, and that's yeah, it, very it's inter- it's odd. I'm okay with that. I think you know the message that this film is trying to convey is, hey, aren't we dumb for? worrying about whether or not someone is homosexual. Look at all the harm it did to this man who was a genius, who was a war hero, who... And look at what it potentially... If he committed suicide... Uh-huh. Look at, look at the how potential much it's harm taken away from us. It's done to society. And and I think they do a hell of a job. They, you know, they're, the line that's just hammered into our heads over and over again is sometimes is the people no one imagines anything of who do the things no one can imagine. Great line. Fantastic quote. Certainly. God, I wish they used it less. Once at the beginning, once near the end would have been fine. The three times they hammered it I in. I think it might have been four. God, if it, it might be. I I get the point they're trying to make. Yeah. Like, it is because he was not normal that he was able to do these things. But, <laughs> but if you know how historically inaccurate that is, uh-huh. then it's kind of a slap in the face a little bit, yeah. right? Because it's saying, well... We we persecuted you because you were gay, and that made you do the great things you did. Uh-huh. It just seems to twist it all up when you actually look at the reality of it and then take that quote. Right. We're going to take this homespun uh, feel-good saying, and we're going to twist the facts of the situation to make it true. Yeah. And then give that Whereas to you as a you life al- lesson. If you applied it to real life, it would be vulgar. It would be obscene mm-hmm. to to tell that man that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> what else we want to talk but, about? But, uh, but from a filmmaking perspective, I like how that that character is driven by the things that you know his childhood love told him. Yeah, that, that exact line. Yeah. Um. He then is inspired by that to go on to do great things. He then tells the exact same thing to Kira Knightley, who is inspired by him telling her that. Sure. Uh. I I think there's there's a very poetic chain going on there from uh, people who don't really see it at the time. You know, you can't predict how what you say to someone is going to change them in the future. Um, And I think that's partially what this is about as well. Yeah. Like the effect that people can have on other people. Sure. And that's that's one point I think that the film does make is in situations where... There is a lot of societal injustice. You know, one or two people that do manage to overlook prejudice and and show compassion to people can make all the difference, which is true mm-hmm. to this day. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's not institutions. It's not society. It's people caring for people that, you know, make the world go around, that make us progress as a civilization. Yeah. And there's those those acts of kindness and and love are, are, are what get us through. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about any of the technical details of the movie? Like not like in the things they got wrong, but I did a lot of research into the enigma and the breaking of the machine that I thought were super interesting. Okay, sure. Bring like for like they made it seem. Uh, I, I thought that they didn't do a good job of communicating that if the Germans had used the Enigma machine perfectly, it's very unlikely uh, that the Allies would have ever broken the code, that it was 
not theoretically unbreakable, but it would have been practically unbreakable for those times. But I feel like they did an okay job with that. Did you? Like the Heil Hitler stuff was but supposed to be the that. Heil Hitler was kind of, I guess, the shorthand because exactly, that yeah. didn't actually happen. Though. No, I know, but that's what they were trying to say. But things like an operator, um, and this is what I think was interesting about the cryptographers, is they used human tendencies, like the same kind of things that we do now, like people using a pin code for one, uh, you know, one two three four uh-huh. because they're lazy. <laughs> Um, password of password. Or they, they actually had, like, statistical models where, okay, this Nazi, op- this Nazi telegraph operator, he's got to twiddle these cylinders mm-hmm. to change the code every day and in between messages. But, you know, if, if he has – you know, if you've got the cylinder and only, like, the first three tabs of the cylinder are exposed, mm-hmm. human nature is probably going to be that you're just going to twiddle those a couple positions from where they are. You're not going to take the time to spin it. Like all the way around. So they had a whole bunch of models where they reduced the possibilities from 159 million, million, million (laughs) down to half that because the most Nazi operators would just like turn it a couple positions before they went on to their next message. Uh And a lot of times the not the you know, if you're an operator and you don't understand cryptography, you just type the message and the whole time the cylinders are twirling themselves. When you start a new message, you're like, well. The ending part of the last message is a perfectly valid random place to start for the new one, so they wouldn't even reset between messages. Hmm. So when they find that pattern, they could unravel a whole day's worth of communications because this one lazy operator was, you know, didn't want to move his positions. Um, so they would just work on that first transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, lots of stuff like that. Yeah, and the I fact- also read something about, like, they repeated th- three characters uh, right after each other. Because you would actually have the first packet of the information that had the actual setting of the machine that was encrypted. Okay. But it, it, so they would have um, the, the, the setting that was encrypted. So then you read that first part and decrypt it, and it's a weaker form of encryption. And then you set your machine for the heavy-duty parts. But they repeated that sequence, so it was very easy to see that in the stream of the, the gibberish. Oh, hmm. okay. The other so they thing, cracked much weaker encryption and then used that to crack... Yes. Enigma? Okay. And here's the other crazy thing. Mm-hmm. The Germans would send encoded messages on, like, there was, there's a couple of Enigma machines, like the commercial variants, that didn't have the plug board. Yeah, yeah. And those are very easy to crack. Mm-hmm. They just have the wheels on top. Um, they would send an identical message through the Enigma system and through the lesser encoded system. Oh, my God. And when you've got that <laughs> That's exam... That's just dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that gives you... You've got you. It's like I know what this says, so now I just got to figure that. It's like that's that's pure gold when stuff like that happens. Yeah, um, yeah. The Heil Hitler stuff was all shorthand for that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just there are ways that humans use machines that give away a lot of information. And another thing is like a lot. There's some of the Nazi high command offered guidelines to use the Enigma machine because they didn't understand cryptography. Like one of the sure. things was on the plug boards, you had these wires that would connect letters to letters. Mm-hmm. They made a rule that you cannot have two plugs that are adjacent to each other. <laughs> so that eliminates a lot of possibilities. Well, when the co- Yeah, when the Allies found that out, it's like, well, holy hell, if we know, we, we can just discount like half of the possibilities on this board because we know they won't set it 
But they to, yeah. to a layperson, it's like, well, that's too much of a pattern. You mm-hmm. can't have one plugged in something and then something plugged into Jason Port. Hmm. But when you're talking random probability, sure. actuality, that should happen. Just plugging them all in next to each other, is all a 10 of them would perfectly, be perfectly random. Yeah, yeah, it's a perfectly valid, and that would have been harder to break than the rule, the arbitrary <laughs> rule they put on because they thought it would be harder to guess. Sure. Um, I thought that was interesting that what ultimately led to the downfall of Enigma was lazy operational security. Mm-hmm. The fact that when someone was asked to send a test message, uh, they just gra- – just the, the, the left – just like on our keyboard, the, the rightmost character was L. They just sent a whole stream of Ls. Like a whole message, it just was a L L L L L L L as a test message. Again, when you got that much repeating characters, that's gold when you're trying to figure out how this encryption system works. Huh. Just stupid stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the whole throughout the whole war, the Nazis were convinced that no one would go through the immense amount of trouble to to break that. And by the end of the war, they 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 just didn't have one machine. They had 210 of these bombs, yeah. they called them, mm-hmm. operating round the clock, breaking Nazi codes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's uh, it's surprising that they didn't realize the importance of the Enigma machine, like the importance of staying true to the encryption. Yeah, because I mean that really is the war. But that's the thing. No, that's why people are so easily hacked today. Is that nobody they understand the importance of using encryption but not of keeping the encryption encrypted <laughs> yeah but it's like everyone like, understands the importance of a safe a strong password in your bank but yet people still run around with the name of their son or daughter and their birthday or yeah. stupid shit like that the maybe, name maybe it doesn't make sense to me because i don't do that because like one i had an interesting exercise when um i was working at a former place i just become aware of this tool called loft crack which was able to um, brute force break like NT admin passwords. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, cause I was the director of it at the time. I just decided to randomly run it against our, um, you know, corporate accounts. And I was horrified <laughs> to see that like five out of the 10 board of directors passwords were broken immediately, mm-hmm. like within one second of me <laughs> running against it, and they were stupid stuff like "sexy." Yeah, where they love God. The sex, one, the one or... that the one that stuck in my mind was the password that was uh, password. "sexy" or capital yeah. P password one I mean, that's straight out of Hackers, nineteen ninety five. Right, and it's and funny because like then it's like okay, well then we'll come we'll change password policy to this is this is what I came in to hear it. I'll, I'll make something to where. You know, password policy will be such and such. Mm, yeah. But you cannot Symbols, you cannot defeat people's stubbornness and stupidity, mm-hmm. you know, because then you'll end up with, uh, you know, whatever scheme you you end up with, they will just add a number to it or they'll start writing it on post-it notes or whatever they're going to do. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, and, I use a password manager. I probably shouldn't do that. That means one password unlocks all my passwords, even though my passwords are really, really strong. Sure. Uh, I mean, the point, the, the the bottom line is, if somebody wants into something, they're going to get into it, yeah, whether yeah. it's physical locks or encryption or whatever. <laughs> the only thing you can do is make it more difficult than it's worth. And the Germans thought that their code was that, and if they'd used it correctly, they'd have probably been right. What did you think about the spy in this movie? Like, I didn't really see what his purpose there was, especially if you factor in the reality of it, which is the spy, like Branson. I'm talking about the MI6 guy. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, if you factor in that Branson, uh, 
whatever his name is, Cross Twain or something yeah. in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, was not actually in the same hut at Bletchley as as Turing was. Like, why did they? Why did they go there? Why did they have? To me, it seems an like MI six guy plant the spy. Like, it's not even that the spy was there. I get why they did that. MI six planted. Well, because I thought we ner- spent five minutes saying that we don't understand why they put him there, and it undercuts what they're trying to do. So, well, do you want to know my theory? I, I get what they were trying to do. I don't think they realized that they were totally breaking the character of Alan Turing at that point. Do you think you want to know my? My theory? Sure, go for it. I think I'm that they you. they actually did realize in the later stages of the script that, oh, oh my God, we've made we this guy him. turn a traitor. You know what? We'll introduce this MI6 guy, and he'll go and wave a magic wand and be like, don't worry, Alan, you, you, you weren't a traitor and you didn't even know it. That is the wrong approach. But what else did he do? What else did no, he do? you're absolutely right. Uh, that's got to be the reason. And that's another thing. The when right approach is to say, "Oh yeah, now back out that that spy because yeah. it doesn't work." Yeah, it's 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 it add it's reductive. It adds nothing to it. It actually takes things away, and it wouldn't. I mean, the movie had been five minutes shorter without his inclusion, and they wouldn't have had like that fatal flaw and 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 uh, Alan's loyalty and because it also had a bunch of like secondary questions when we were driving home from the movie theater. I'm like, you know. It seems if Alan Turing had a friend so high up in MI6 that they could have made this whole homosexual thing go away. So Yeah, but would they? Like, I'm not convinced that they would. But the thing is, the fact that he never even met or knew that guy, and Alan didn't have any yeah. high-level contacts within, you know... He did, like, write a letter to Churchill, but it was hmm. co-authored by four other people, and they just basically asked for more money and men, and which Churchill immediately granted. It wasn't, like, going over... So Lord Tywin's head. I assume that there is absolutely zero accuracy in the guy from MI6 kind of going around Churchill's wishes to give to give information to the Soviets, right? I don't know. I, I didn't there's I didn't because see Because I know there was a spy at Bletchley. Yep. But I didn't read and I didn't do enough reading to find out whether he was actually giving information to russia at the behest of someone in the british government well i mean there's a there is i think a conspiracy theory saying that there were people in the intelligence agents um the intelligence apparatus of england that tried to back channel stuff to the soviets because churchill was skeptical of them i don't know just like you know one of our our um, shadowy benefactor sent me um you know it's like uh there's there's a Conspiracy theory that Roosevelt knew about the Pearl Harbor attack because Japan used yeah, a modified yeah, yeah. version of the Enigma machine, which, which been cracked already. They like even the naval version, which was the strongest type, they had cracked by 1942. Yeah. So there's some people that suggest that America did know about the Pearl Harbor attack, and he chose to do nothing about it just so it would get us into the war. I don't know if that's true yeah. or not. Just like I don't know the other stuff is true. I just don't know enough about World War II history to say one way or another. It wouldn't surprise me. You know what I'm really waiting for is a Dan Carlin podcast on World War II. <laughs> His World War One stuff has been so great, and I feel like I actually understand yeah. a lot more about World War One um, and Did- why it happened and what happened. World War II would just blow my fucking mind. Or if he did something on Project Ultra. Where it's like I would love to see I would love to see um, Dan go to this movie and come back and be like, "Oh, this is bullshit." Yeah, I'm going to do a five part part series on Project Ultra and the, <laughs> Spend the next system. year and a half of my life. Yeah, researching. I'm going to set this story straight. God damn it! Wow. 
know, it's funny. There is another movie with Kate Winslet called Enigma that's about uh, the same same thing, and people. Huh. Uh, I think you can see it on Netflix too. I'll look up the link and the, to see where we can find it and put it in the show notes. But uh, apparently, that was praised for its historic accuracy. Do you know what people said about it? It was dull, boring. <laughs> yeah, no, I could see that. So totally. it's as having said all this about the criticism of the film. I can definitely see why they punched it up and made it more entertaining. Just some of the things I can't, I, I can't quite figure out why they went away and and they decided that Alan Turing had to be this type of genius and he had to have this kind of struggle and mm-hmm. all that stuff is is I don't know makes it for compelling watching. I was genuinely moved and, and well, the, I think they want people to feel bad about. Like rightfully so about giving homosexuals any guff, and and they wanted to make them feel real bad about it. Yeah, like and, it's, and it's he, bad and enough. Holding you're just Alan a... Turing up as an example of a homosexual who is being being crushed from every angle. Yeah, from from the time he popped out of the womb, he was different yes. and he couldn't uh, articulate the world. And then if God wasn't a bastard, he made him gay on top of all that stuff. Exactly, and so that's what they're really doing. And the kid that plays young Alan Turing. Oh is yeah fantastic yeah great like that great scene stuff. where he's getting the news that christopher's dead <laughs> yep that's is brutal. amazing mm-hmm. i just can't believe sometimes i wonder about like child actors that are that good it's like what the hell have you been through <laughs> that you can emote <laughs> like that that you can tap into uh, this source of pain like i hope it's like your pet rabbit died when you were five and <laughs> that's what's causing it because you are a haunted haunted young man yeah I don't know, man. The Haley Joe Osmonds and stuff of the world. Yeah. It's like literally wow. haunted. Yeah. Case. By Bruce Willis, <laughs> yeah. of all things. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like this movie is going to have an effect, the desired effect, which is to point out how ridiculous it is, ridiculous it is to uh, hold homosexuality against anyone. Uh, I think it's going to help get that into the conscience of society. And the fact that it, it took till 2013 for the British government to f- have a formal pardon, which, you know, that's the thing. So whether they did it now or when the data was released, uh, yeah. yeah, I get it. It's, it's it a means while, less but... than nothing to Alan Turing, and that's the thing that's exactly. always, I think, a joke yeah. about these posthumous, not awards, because, you know, if you died but... in a noble sacrifice, then that means something to your family. But yeah. for, like, 50 years after you made a person a pariah to apologize for it and he has no real estate. I mean, what does that mean to me? That feels like a feel good thing to make everybody's feelings better, but it somehow makes me feel worse about it. But it can also be a signal to people that they, the times have changed changed, and they need to get on board with that. That's a good point. I feel like people in authority positions need to say these things because what if they had let it just go and never said anything? Yeah, I mean, people would get angrier and angrier about that. Potentially, but there's part of me that's like, you know, uh, when the hero says, "I'm not going to kill you. You're going to live with this the rest of your life." Like, no, don't apologize. Wallow in your shititude uh-huh. for all of eternity, knowing that you committed <laughs> this great injustice. Don't say you're sorry, and then like, yep, that's so. Oh, I feel so better now. Yeah. Apology not accepted. Put him put a statue up somewhere in in uh, London. And yeah, and the least good. they could have done is match what Rocky got, right? <laughs> <laughs> like put a statue of him up near Bletchley and call it good. So what do we say? Do, should everyone see this movie? I feel like 
this is a good movie everyone should see, but then yeah. you have to make a decision where you just enjoy it as a movie and don't ever quote, don't ever act lecture people on, on Alan Turing <laughs> or World War II uh-huh. because you have got false information. Or, or use it as a springboard to understand the real man and the yes, real do some research. effort, which is a amazing amount of technical. It's, just, it's every bit as amazing as putting a man on the moon. Breaking this code took the work of oh, yeah. hundreds and thousands of people and hundreds I of think 9, edge, people by the end of it, h- hundreds of cutting edge machines and and millions of dollars uh, to to crack this thing that saved 14 to 20 million lives and shortened the war by as many as two years. Yeah, it's 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 it is a remarkable achievement and and i would say don't even necessarily just use this as a springboard to research alan turing in world war ii but to think about you know where you stand on the issues that this movie raises sure and 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 what kind of signal you're sending off to people in 50 years what is a social injustice happening right now that we are collectively as a civilization going to feel ashamed of yeah and how strong a stand do you want to take against any particular sure. you know thing that might upset or offend you it's reality tv really i mean <laughs> that's that's the egregious sin of this generation yeah yeah when the the situation eats a cyanide apple 5 years from now 50 years we'll we'll think back of the shame the guido shame yep the guido yep. shaming that went through this fan so he's got a spray country. tan so he's got some weird hair give him a break he likes to lift yeah there's what's the crime <laughs> There's a guy who really doesn't understand people or the way the world works. <laughs> That's or, true. That's true. He's got no tools and equipment for success except for abs. <laughs> and we, Which and, are a debatable tool. And, and we're place. driving it. We're making him a social pariah. That is. There's going to be... Uh, You're right. You're right. I don't know what they call that. Uh, the Guido game. I don't know. All right. I think this podcast away is from ended. cyanide and apples. I think this podcast ended several minutes ago. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just saying if, if the situation is doing experiments involving cyanide, it's mm-hmm. a lot sketchier than Alan Turing. <laughs> like, nobody, that, that's just the government killing you. Yeah. Yep. All right. We're done. Well, thanks to our anonymous source, once again, for uh, backing us and commissioning this podcast. I would not have seen this movie in the theaters. I would have waited at least a year to see it until it got to Netflix. Uh, so I'm glad I got a chance to see it and uh, to think about it, you know, and to think about... Uh, all the implications. Yes, and thank film. you for making my girlfriend insanely jealous because she was wanting to see it with the theater. Oh, uh, the she was with working, me and uh, yeah. did not get to do that because I saw it in official capacity. So uh, <laughs> struck struck a blow there. Uh. <laughs> yep, that's it. Thanks, thanks again. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.